Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching. We're real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Welcome back. Another week, another podcast. And today I want to talk about something that's, I think, rather interesting to me, and that is the fact that therapy is just not for everybody. So why is it that not everybody is inclined to see a therapist, especially if they're struggling? Well, one of the main reasons I would think would be fear. You know, just kind of fear of the unknown, what to expect. I remember uh, speaking to someone uh, at a party once and about therapy. And they told me, look, I don't want to ever go to therapy because I don't want to have to blame my mother. So you see, we have these preconceived notions. And in this case, the, the kind of the, the Oedipal notion that we have to look back and find out the faults of our parents in order to go through the process. Or maybe it's just the stigma, you know, the stigma of being in therapy, albeit that stigma is very reduced compared to when I grew up in the 50s. Back then, if you were, as they called it then, if you had a nervous breakdown, and I still hear people using that today, yeah, she had a nervous breakdown. The nerves break down, I guess. I, I don't know what that means. But anyway, back then, if you had a nervous breakdown, you were told, and I was told, that the men in the white coats come and take you away. Now, here I am. I'm a five, six, seven-year-old child. And you know, I'll be damned. I don't, I don't want the guys in white coats coming to get me. But I didn't know why they would come. I mean, they didn't know how do you get a nervous breakdown? How do you catch a nervous breakdown? So I was a little bit intimidated by the concept. I mean, it didn't ruin my childhood, but it was in the ethers of my mind. And even the cartoons, I remember watching the cartoons and then more than one uh, where the guy in the white coat comes with a big butterfly net and they snatch you up and they bring you to that place, the place called the insane asylum, mm, ominous, right? So, so I grew up, of course, with uh, just dire and dour uh, kind of associations to all things therapy uh, and white coats, to be, to be frank. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, these things were were kind of uh, articulated and enhanced by some of the the media of the time. One of the earlier ones and. I guess it was in the 40s. I believe it was David Niven. It was called The Snake Pit about a, a mental hospital. And later on, we had One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson, a, a horrific movie about uh, things going awry in a, uh, a psychiatric facility. I mean, what about you? I mean, I know that things have changed and we are in an enlightened era as opposed to the pre-enlightened era that I grew up in. But what about you? If you hear someone's in therapy, do you think differently about them? 
do you feel oh <laughs> and 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 kind of feel like oh well something's awry here they're not quote normal do you ever get to that point i used to i used to feel that way i have to be honest until i got up to psychology in college uh, i always thought there was a distinction between normal people people that don't go to therapy people that don't need psychotropic medication and uh, those that did and you know and it was it was very unsettling because it took a while for me to realize that that normalcy if we want to use that word which doesn't really apply it's a statistical concept but that normalcy really is a continuum so let's say on the left side we have the super normal godlike creatures who don't suffer and they are few if any and as we progress along that continuum, we have normal struggles, apprehensions, anxieties, depressions, and more serious consequences as we get along the right side of that continuum. So all behavior occurs on, an, on a continuum, but we're all in this bell-shaped curve called normal. Uh, so, so get rid of the, the pre-existing notions you may have that people who suffer or people who go to therapy are different from you. They're not. And sometimes they are much healthier than you might be. I'm just just saying, okay. Uh, but as I said, things have changed, and that's, that's a good thing. Uh, so I think nowadays it has become, well, I would have to say psychology is ascendant at this time. Celebrities brag about their therapy and their therapist and psychotropic medication. Well, it's become commonplace. I mean, who hasn't heard of Xanax, Ativan, Zoloft, and of course the granddaddy Prozac? Although there were tricyclics before that. And who knows what was before that. Before my time, let's put it that way. But we are all, we are all now much more comfortable with the concept of therapy and I think less and less do we stigmatize anyone going to therapy. And hopefully, you know, that is almost extinguished because therapy nowadays is seen as constructive. You bring a an automobile to the gas station if it has a, a rattle or something going awry in the engine. And the mechanic does what has to be uh, taken care of. Therapy is addressing problems. Uh, instead of living with problems. So absolutely therapy has come out of the dark ages. This is a good thing. And for many, thanks to insurance plans, it's become quite affordable. It is not just for an elite class of celebrities. But as I started out saying, it may not be for everyone. For whatever reason you may have, you may not want to engage formally in therapy and that's okay so let's let's today discuss an alternative let's say you're either on the fence about going to therapy or you're just absolutely against it for whatever reason you may have so let's talk about an alternative and let's call it self-therapy aka what i call it self-coaching and if you are opting for self-therapy for working out your problems, for taking responsibility, then what are some of the stumbling blocks and what do you have to be aware of? Well, the number one reason 
why we have problems with self-therapy or self-coaching is that emotional suffering is confusing. We feel victimized by our struggles. I can't stop worrying. Oh, why bother? I just don't know why bother. I don't care. And I remember growing up, if someone was sad or anxious or miserable, the typical response is, eh, what are you going to do? And and this, this was a, a vehicle for distancing yourself and shutting down the conversation. Because if someone told you they were depressed, and your first response, well, what are you going to do? Well, if that was your response, basically, you want to shut down that conversation quickly. It's disturbing. You don't have an answer. You're dealing with something that you feel is quite mysterious. And you'd rather just not have to have that person get into it with you because it makes you uncomfortable. So you walk away from it. And this goes on today. Of course, many people, uh, they, they're not saying to themselves, hey, what are you going to do? But uh, they do sometimes in a different way. You know, it might be that they feel their suffering is due to fate or kismet or karma. You know, these are all victim statements. Sometimes we feel victimized. And by definition, a victim is someone who's powerless. So when you feel powerless and victimized, of course, then your struggles are out of your control because you're a victim of these problems and victims have no power. So there's nothing you can do about it. So in a sense, you're saying to yourself, eh, what am I going to do? <laughs> so that's not, that's not good enough because there's a lot you can do. You see, when we're confused, it's just because we, we really don't understand emotional struggle. So you need some handles. You know, it's like a riddle, right? We all know riddles. And it can be very confusing until you get the punchline. So let me ask you a riddle. How much dirt is there in a hole that measures two feet by three feet by four feet? Okay, now mull that around in your head, right? You're getting confused? Yeah, because the answer is, the answer to that riddle is, there is no dirt because it's a hole. So it, it makes sense once you make sense of it. So sometimes, like a riddle, we get confused. We just don't know the simple answer that solves the riddle. And that's what, that's what you know, our own emotional struggle is all about. It, it's really not that complex. It isn't rocket science, but it is confusing. And we don't have a simple answer to the riddle of why we suffer. So the simple answer, and I call it simple because understanding it isn't simple, applying it is not so simple, because that takes courage, tenacity, determination. But if you have the format, if you have what you need to do, and you're, you're hell-bent on self-therapy or self-coaching, then you do need to know the tools that you need to have. Once you have those tools, then maybe you'll feel a bit less victimized and a bit more likely to try to use those tools to extricate yourself from your own confusion, from the riddle, the emotional riddle that has become your life. So in order to tap into what we may call your empowered self, there are three things. You have to understand insecurity. You have to understand the nature of habits 
and you have to understand how we feed or starve habits. Now, essentially, that's the tools that you need in your toolbox. When I work with patients, those are the tools, the three tools I use. First, I start out with the fact that they need to understand the nature of insecurity. Insecurity is the beginning. It's the prima materia. It's the base stuff that everything else comes out of. Everyone has some degree of insecurity. Again, it's that continuum. We all have some insecurity. No one grows up in a perfect world. No one has perfect parents. So to some degree, we have some insecurity. Insecurity is synonymous with feelings of vulnerability, feelings of being unsafe. And human beings abhor being unsafe. It's our survival instincts. We don't like to feel that sense of loss of control. So when we feel vulnerable, what's the first thing we do? Well, we try to gain control. So as our developmental years progress, if there is a significant amount of insecurity, we start to develop defensive maneuvers to compensate, to make us feel more balanced, more in control, less out of control. So that insecurity is a stressor. When you feel vulnerable, you feel stressed. No one likes to feel vulnerable, out of control. So we start to find ways to insulate ourselves from our own insecurities. And we use develop habit, what I call habits of control. Worry is probably the most obvious. We worry because we're trying to anticipate chaos. We're trying to anticipate what's coming around the corner. And my definition of worry is that it's an anticipation of chaos that may or may not come. And what you're doing is you're saying, well, if I'm braced, if I'm ready, if I know what's coming, you know, then I feel less vulnerable. So worrying gives you the illusion that you're becoming less vulnerable as you go forward in life. And there are other, other habits of control withdrawal, for example, pulling away from life, like going into a turtle shell. And I, in one of my books, I call that the turtle behavior, where you have this shell, this insulating shell that you withdraw to, to avoid life's stressors, life's vulnerabilities. So we can worry, we can retreat, withdraw. Sometimes growing up, you develop strategies of aggressiveness, you push people away. This insulates you because they can't hurt you if you're stronger than they are. If you're a bully and you push people away, it's another way of isolating yourself, but you feel less vulnerable. So whatever your controlling strategies are, these are strategies that are meant to make you feel less vulnerable. Perfectionism, for example. Why are people perfectionists? Well, my contention is they don't necessarily want to be perfect. They just don't want to screw up because that's where you become more vulnerable. But if you are perfectly in control and you have a perfect life and you don't make mistakes, then, of course, you are less vulnerable, as if that's a possibility. So there are many, many ways that we protect ourselves or insulate ourselves from our own insecurity. And these protective maneuvers, these controlling strategies begin quite innocently and randomly, depending on your, your nature in general. A, a very sensitive individual child may develop more of the, uh, the worrisome uh, behavior. 
a more energetic child might develop more of that aggressiveness. One uh, size does not fit all. You may have a smorgasbord of many different defenses. But over time, all of these strategies of control become habituated. And that is a critical self-coaching concept. Because for a habit to become habituated, that's just not a mental thing. We know from neuroplasticity that the brain is altered over time by what we call habit loops. Think about think of a habit loop as kind of a um, a path in the woods, and if enough people use that path, it, it tends to get wider and wider, and eventually the town might come and pave that path and make it into a, a road, and eventually the county might come in and make it a highway. This is what happens in the brain. These neural pathways, when they are reinforced take a controlling strategy, let's call that one of the pathways, and let's say uh, it's a, a habit of worry. So every time you give in to worry, you are walking that path, making it a little bit more pronounced, a little wider. It becomes more and more dominant. Now we have a structural reflex, and that controlling strategy now becomes rather reflexive, knee-jerk-like, because the neural pathway makes that an efficient pathway. The wider the path, the more efficient it becomes, and the more likely it is that that reflex will take place whenever you feel that particular vulnerability of yours. Struggle, emotional struggle, controlling strategies, these become habituated. They turn into habit loops. And once they are part of your physical anatomy, then they are stubborn things, to sound like John Adams sometimes quite challenging to dismantle, to neutralize. So in order to do that, you have to imagine now that we're going to not pound on that path anymore. We're going to let the weeds grow back. We're going to let that path become atrophied and eventually, as it becomes neutralized, to become less of a reflex in our lives. Now, simultaneously, as we are not reinforcing the habit loop of controlling strategies. We want to be building new habit loops, more appropriate habit loops. We want to starve, if you will, the habit loops of controlling strategies. And we want to reinforce more adaptive, responsible, empowered behavior. How do we do that? Well, again, it's consciousness you need to become aware of play that insecurity has in your life. You need to ferret out the controlling strategies, the reflexive strategies that you cling to, and you need to start stepping apart from them willfully. You know, once you have insight, it's not you're not in the dark anymore. When you find yourself withdrawing because of fear, anxiety, negativity, you need to stand up to that. And you need to realize that you're not going to reinforce an old destructive habit. And little by little, you tend to shut down that path. It may feel risky to just let go of a certain ruminative worry, but take the risk. You need to try and you need to find out that life will go on, that you'll come out on the other side, and that you do have very strong, spontaneous, instinctual mechanisms that will protect you. You don't need to anticipate everything that's coming in life. You need to trust your own natural resourcefulness, and survival instincts. You'll be okay. Now, is there a time when worry and anxiety is normal and desirable? And the answer is yes. And we do have to differentiate between, now here's an important word, between neurotic worry 
anticipation, anxiety, and what we might call very loosely normal or appropriate worry, anxiety, etc., anticipation. What's the difference? Well, if you if you hear a news report that your your area is in for about a 15-inch rainfall and you're in low-lying areas, well, you may worry about that. And worry is an anticipation. It's a projection into the future of insecurity. But it's understandable. You should be insecure if 15 inches of rain is about to fall on top of you. So you need to make some adjustments. You need to either get to high ground. You need to put out sandbags, whatever you do. But you need to realize that that kind of worry and anticipation is fortifying you to take action. The worrisome anticipatory thoughts that are connected to this imminent storm, well, that's prudent because it protects you, literally. Whereas projections of insecurity, what if she says no? What if I don't get that job? Well, these aren't making you more fortified and safer. They're more or less making you more stressed and neurotic. These are things that may never happen. Now, you could argue that the storm may never happen, but chances are, if you know there's eminent danger and you respond to that with some anticipatory worry or anxiety, that's a good thing. It's prudent. And I think our species are, are geared to have some of that in our repertoire, to worry about things that could eat us and do us harm, saber-toothed tigers, for example. So we're wired to have some anxieties, to worry about certain things. But it's when it switches over to projections of insecurity, the what-ifs, you know, the myths of our powerlessness. Because then we see danger in safe places. And that is what neurosis is all about. And that's why we defend ourselves. And that's why we develop controlling strategies. Because we don't have a foundation of self-trust. With self-trust, you're willing to take some risks. Now, how do you get to self-trust? Well, first of all, you realize that breaking habits, well, that gives you the ability to start leaning more on your true self, your true sense of empowerment, and not be victimized by neurotic projections. So once you have the tools and the format, then you have to risk finding out that you can handle life bit by bit, little by little. We're breaking habits. We're not reinforcing old reflexive habits of the past. And I call these the child reflexes because they often have a child quality to them. Oh no, I can't do this. It's too hard. So we're breaking those patterns. And you need to look for the doubts, the fears, the negative. Those are the tip-offs that you're feeding the habit of insecurity. And you're moving further away from self-trust. Self-trust is the answer. With self-trust, that doesn't mean you eliminate life's problems. That doesn't mean you, you never have stress or some anxieties or some worries in your life. But it does mean that you're not going to add neurotic worries and insecurities to your life. And it's the neurotic projections that make you feel crazy. So if you want to avoid <laughs> the guys in the white coat coming with that big butterfly net, then you got to realize you need tools. So if you have the tools and you know how to not feed or starve the habits of insecurity. And you're starting to break some of those go-to controlling strategies because, you know, the only reason you have to control life is because you don't trust that you can handle life. And if you don't trust you can handle life, you're going to rely on controlling life, which in itself is a myth. It's like trying to control the ocean. 
you build your sandcastle and you're trying to build the walls around it, but the ocean's going to eventually take over. You don't control life. You manage it. And that's important. When you decide consciously or unconsciously that you're going to make an exception, you're going to control life. You're going to control fate. Well, you're asking for trouble, neurotic trouble. When I work with the people I see in therapy, you know, I'm trying to give them these same tools. I'm trying to help them become more conscious of how they're feeding or starving the habits that are putting them in this neurotic spiral. I try to coach them to fight the good fight, to become more actively conscious of not yielding to the powerlessness that they feel. Now, therapy has an advantage because initially you can, you can lean on the therapist and have a sense of feeling somewhat protected. So it, it kind of lightens the load. But a good therapist, a good psychologist knows that you don't want to foster that dependency because ultimately you want that to go back to the person. I see all my clients, not every week, not twice a week, but every other week. And the reason being is because I like to give as much homework as I possibly can. The type of homework I'm describing in this podcast. And that two-week period is a period where they need to apply themselves on their own, these various tools and efforts. Because once you become dependent on a therapist, you know, then you're shirking your responsibility. Well, I'm going to therapy this week. I don't have to figure that out. I've actually heard that said. Since I'm coming to see you, Doc, uh, I didn't have to think too much about why I was doing that because I knew you'd figure it out for me or help me figure it out. See, that that dependency is dangerous. So from the very beginning, when I developed my self-coaching strategy, I realized that I needed to have independence within the confines of the therapy that I was promoting. And that independence is not always greeted with satisfaction at first. What do you mean you can only see me every other week? Sometimes it's important to point out that therapy is a mutual responsibility, ultimately culminating in the individual responsibility of you, the person in therapy. And I did want to mention that today's podcast is being brought to you by my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. You know, and I mention that because this is the self-therapy, self-coaching format that I'm discussing today. Check it out. And until next time, why don't you visit my website, selfcoaching.net, where you could learn more about my self-coaching philosophy and check out some of my other books. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, well, it's not an option. By definition, victims are powerless and you're not powerless. It may feel that way, but sometimes feelings aren't facts. And remember, everything's hard until you make it simple. So join me every week, and what do you say? We make it simple together. Believe in yourself. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Hold on.